Good morning. It's nice to be here again. Uh, if you didn't catch that, my name is Jason. Uh, I am one of the pastors here on staff, and when everybody else is busy, they allow me to be here. So that says something. <clears throat> so hold on to your hats. We'll see what comes out. Um, we're just finishing up our series in Philippians, uh, chapter 4, 10 through 23, so if you want to turn in your Bibles there, that would be great. I have actually the privilege of doing the first one and the last one, and the first one started with um, Paul talking about how he was excited about the partnership the Philippians had with him, and in verse 3 of the first chapter, he says this, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you. Always in every prayer of mine for you, all making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Paul is very excited and joyful about the, the partnership that the Philippian church has with him as he spreads the gospel. And now he kind of comes back to it at the end in chapter 4. As he concludes his letter, he kind of moves back to this partnership that comes. But before we get there, I'm not super fond of partnerships. Because when I think about partnerships, I think about high school, and I think about a teacher saying, you're going to do a group project. And I think, garbage. Because I'm a steady, steady C-plus student. And here's what I want. I want to do the minimum amount of work so that I can go and play hockey. But sure enough, I'm going to get a partner that's not a C-plus student. They're either an A student, and they're going to make me do way more work than I should do, or make me feel guilty about the little bit of work that I did do, or I'm going to get a D student, and I'm going to have to do the work. None of this is great. I would rather do it myself, right? Partnerships have a way of doing this kind of showing where we're weak, showing where we're strong. And so I did not like this. So then I thought it would be brilliant to get married. <laughs> Again, I'm a C-plus student. I married an A-plus. It's rough. But partnerships do this, don't they? That as we work with people towards a common goal, we start to see where it is that we're not doing so well or where we actually bring strength to the, to the group and, and, and vice versa. And so Paul now in this last section as he kind of reflects on how it is that the Philippian church has um, partnered with them. He's, he's starting to kind of reflect on, okay, so what does this mean and what does this reveal? And we can learn a lot there. But Paul understands that this relationship isn't totally kind of mutual equals on equals. He's, he's, he's a leader, and so he, in the verse before our section here, so we're looking at 10 to 23, in verse 9 he says, whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put into practice. See, Paul sees that his life is built in such a way that people should look at how he operates in, in the world and then should say, I should imitate that. This isn't the first time that he said that. He said that again in chapter 3, verse 17. And he's also said that to the Corinthian church in 1 Corinthians 11, verse 1, where he says, be imitators of me as I am of Christ. 
See, this relationship is such that I'm going to exemplify what it looks like to follow Christ, and then I'm going to call you then to, to act in the same way so that you will become more like Christ. And in the process, we learn then what this partnership looks like, where the Philippian church is showing what Christ is like and where Paul is showing what Christ is like. So if we can read together Philippians 4, 10 through 23, that would be fantastic. I rejoice in the Lord greatly that now at length you have received, revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity Not that I'm speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Yet it was kind of you to share my trouble And you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. I have received full payment, and once more I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God." And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Greet every saint in Christ Jesus. The brothers who are with me greet you. All the saints greet you, especially those of Caesar's household. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirits. And that is the word of the Lord. I think in in, in this relationship, as Paul kind of reflects on the support that the Philippian church um, has given him, we kind of see three different things. Um, At least those are the three that I'm going to focus on. First, we have Christ-centered contentment. Second, we have a radical partnership. And third, we have God's glory as the goal. So let's start first with Christ-centered contentment. Paul's kind of reflecting on his time now in Rome, and he's saying that he is grateful that finally the the gift that the Philippian church um, had sent had arrived. And if you read it at first blush, it might look like the Philippian church had forgotten about Paul. And that he says, oh, that your concern has been revived for me. But he's, he's quick to kind of clarify that in being that they didn't have text message or cell phones, or Facebook, and where you could say, I've just arrived here, staying at this place. No, 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 they had to actively find where Paul was going, and because his missionary journeys would take him from town to town, and sometimes he would get bustled out of town from violence or or so on, it was hard to keep track of him. And so by the time the Philippian church had kind of found him again, Paul is in Rome, in prison, and they right away send him something. So when he's reflecting on that, he's saying, I'm so grateful that your concern has been revived for me and that you've, you've found me and been able to continue providing for me as you always have. It wasn't about your care, it was about opportunity. And then he says, not that I'm speaking of being in need. You see, the the emphasis is not on the need that I have, the fact that I'm in prison and need to uh, uh, clothe myself and feed myself, and, and that's difficult to do with a Roman guard chained to you. I'm not speaking of my need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. 
I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. And now the money verse. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Now, if, if you've done a Christian camp or you went to Sunday school or your parents made you memorize verses, I am sure Philippians 4.13 was on the list. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. And what an amazing verse it is. And then you grew up and then you saw Tim Tebow with his paint here with Philippians 4.13 put on it. I can throw touchdowns through Christ who strengthens me, right? Or maybe you grew up and you watched Evander Holyfield go into battle against Mike Tyson, the feared boxer, and where Evander Holyfield was not supposed to win and the heavyweight champion should clearly have been Mike Tyson, but Evander Holyfield brought out the trump card and put Philippians 4.13 on his shorts and on his robe and said, you know what? If I'm going to box, I'm going to box in the strength of Christ. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Or maybe Steph Curry with his runners that say Philippians 4.13 on the bottom to help him throw three-pointers, arguably one of the best shooters in NBA history. Or as the Babylon Bee puts it, worship leader invokes Philippians 4.13 to fit into skinny jeans. <laughs> Sorry, Tyson. Certainly, though, that's not what Paul is saying, is it? That if we just think about a goal out here, if I make a goal that I want to shoot a three-pointer, that if I just invoke Philippians 4.13, it's guaranteed. What do I do when I miss? Or when the touchdown doesn't go in, or I lose the boxing match? What do I, what do, I do with that? See, it's so easy to take this verse and now make it that Christ is there to reach my goals. If I want to be a good boxer, Christ will strengthen me to do so. If I want to be a good basketball player, certainly Christ will do that. Certainly, if Christ wants you to be a good basketball player, he will empower you to do so. But it's not the goals that you set. See, Paul, though, in his circumstance, isn't talking about these lofty ideas that one day Paul will be emperor of Rome and that all he has to do is believe in Jesus and focus on him for strength and that will happen. Paul's reflecting on his circumstances and thinking about his journey as he's sitting in prison and thinking about those times when he was beaten and flogged and stoned and run out of cities when he was hungry and waiting for food, when he couldn't buy anything or was abandoned on an island because of a shipwreck and being bitten by a snake. And he's thinking, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. You see, he says, I know how to be brought low. And I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret 
of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Contentment is in every circumstance. It is not simply when things are going well. It is not when things are going poorly. It is always. See, Paul sees it as a goal of his. He has learned that he is to be content. The command is be content. As he reflects on his life, he has discovered that one of the things he ought to do as a Christ follower is be content, to have his life be defined by contentment. But being brought low is hard. Working through the valley, struggling with sickness, struggling with poor relationships, or bad job prospects, or financial destitution are not easy. But Paul says he knows the secret to being content in a circumstance like that. Now, it's, it's easy to misinterpret, though, what Paul says there as if what he's saying is don't try and get out of that circumstance. Just raise your hands in defeat to the circumstance that you have around you and accept your lot in life and find contentment in it. That's not what Paul is saying. In 2 Corinthians chapter 12, Paul reflects on some of the difficulties in his life. And in verse 7 through 10, he says this. So to keep me from becoming conceited because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, a thorn was given to me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from being conceited. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weakness so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weakness, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Do you notice there Paul does not leave himself in that circumstance? He comes to God saying, God, like, I cannot do this. This is incredibly difficult. Please take it away from me. Three times he does this. It's not as if Paul has learned that, well, I've just got this thorn and I've just got to deal with it and that's just the way that it's going to be. I've just got this disease. There's no reason to fight it. There's no reason to try and use medical treatment. No, 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 I just have it. I'll throw my hands up in the air. I should be content with my lot in life. No, Paul actively seeks to change his circumstances. In other places, the apostle James says, look, if you're sick, you should go pray with the elders. See, the the Christian life isn't relegated to just dealing with suffering and not doing anything about it. It doesn't restrict you from trying to find a job that would more easily meet your bills. It doesn't stop you from seeking help to mend relationships. 
or deal with the sickness in your life. Contentment doesn't mean apathy. But contentment is probably more difficult or more applicable to us, at least, in plenty. Isn't it? This last week, I spent the week in Rock Creek, just outside of Rock Creek, at a place called the Kettle River Valley uh, Recreation Site, whatever it was called. And it's kind of, uh, it's in the Kettle River Valley, as you might have guessed. Um, and the Kettle River runs through it, in, and it just kind of meanders along. And so the, the campground is set in the middle of this kind of horseshoe-shaped portion of the river. And so you can walk to one end of the campground, and you get in the water with your float tube, and you tie your kids to it. And then you float down this river for an hour and a half, just meandering along. You can look at the fish in the water. You can look at the birds circling ahead, trying to get the fish. You can look at the forest around you. You can play. It, like it's, it's, it's fantastic. Then you just get out, and you walk back, and you can do it again, or you can go back to your campsite. It's 30 degrees outside. It's, this, is, this is beautiful. Until, of course, your tube gets stuck on a rock. I mean, seriously, could it not be just six inches deeper? Now I have to get out of my tube halfway through, find a spot on the rocky shore, make sure that there's nothing wrong with the bottom of the tube, hear the kids whining, waiting to go, or whatever the case. I got to drag them all out because they can't swim if they tried. Oh, my life is so hard. But isn't that true, though? Like When we reflect on our lives, isn't it true that it is so easy to become discontent when we have abundance? When everything is going well, when our relationships are going well, when we have excess funds and our vehicles are in running order, that the instant something goes wrong, discontentment leaves. See, Paul's, Paul's pointing here is not simply for those who struggle in the prison, in the health crisis, in the difficulty. He's saying, no, 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 this secret is also for those who have plenty. When I have sat with plenty, no, 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 the call is still to be content. Then in what? If it's not in stuff, if it's not in our circumstances, if it's not in our health, then what is it? Well, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. See, I can live a life of plenty in Christ. I can live a life of difficulty in Christ. I can struggle through the valley I can climb the mountaintop in Christ. But you see, this is, this is something that Paul has learned. Did you catch that? Twice he says, I have learned this. It's not as if he had his Damascus Road experience. Jesus came and showed himself there, and then, and then he's like, oh, I should just be content in everything that I do. It's not how it worked. He had to learn that process. See, when we come to know 
Christ, when we, when we look at his life and what he taught, and then we see that he died a death that we ought to die, and he was buried in a grave that we ought to be buried in, and then was raised to life so that we could have life, we start to go, oh, okay, maybe there's something outside of the stuff that I have or the circumstances that I'm in that I should be anchoring my contentment in. And then we go into life and we take that first step and things are difficult and we learn, oh, this is a challenge. And so then we have to trust again on Christ and we have to look back at what he's done. See, contentment, Christian contentment is a learned practice. It's aligning our hearts and our minds and our spirits with what it is that God has done and is doing through us. See, the boat that you long for? What is that but a desire for freedom and rest? Which is ultimately found in Christ. Matthew eleven twenty eight through 30. That promotion you want, at its root, it is simply security and respect. Ultimately, these are found in Christ. What about friendship? What a friend we have in Jesus, one who never abandons or forsakes us. Matthew 28, verse 20. Desiring family, we have an older brother who leads the way, Hebrews 2, 11, and unites us to the Father who ever loves us, Galatians 4, 4 through 7. Are you seeking justice? He is a judge who forever upholds righteousness. 2 Timothy 4, verse 8. You need comfort? We have a priest who forever intercedes, Hebrews 7, 25. Wisdom? We have a prophet who always proclaims, Hebrews 3. Counselor who is ever ready with comfort, Matthew 11. A provider who ever supplies, Philippians 4, 19. A savior who pays the price for our sins, Hebrews 10, 12. A defender who will guard and keep us. If we desire love, it is found in his spread arms on the cross. If we want hope, it is found in his resurrection. If we seek peace, it is found in his blood shed for us. If we seek joy, it is given in his spirit. Happiness is found in knowing what awaits us. Power, you will rule with him forever. Are you hungry? He is the bread of life. Are you thirsty? He is living water. Are you naked? He covers you with his righteousness. Health? He is the great physician. Knowledge? He holds it in his hands. Rest? He says, come to me. All who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. You need compassion, it flows from him. You want riches, we are made co-heirs with him in Christ. Contentment is Christ-centered. In him, you have everything you need, you want, you desire. In him, everything is yes and amen. And the stuff that you have or you don't have takes its proper place because we have everything in Christ. 
That is why the author of Hebrews in chapter 13, verse 5 says, Keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with what you have. Because God has said, never will I leave you. Never will I forsake you. See, when you trust Christ, you have it all. We have to remind our spirits daily of what we have in Jesus. That those areas that we lack, we can look to a Father who loves us and provides for us in that. And where we have, we can look and see a God who gives graciously to us so generously. We have everything in Christ. So yes, we can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. Regardless of the circumstance. Secondly, though, we see that there is a radical partnership that is formed when you understand the depths of the love of God for you. See, in Acts chapter 16, when Paul first came into the Philippian city of Philippi, he met some women and he taught them the gospel and they believed And then the church grew and he ended up getting into prison and he converted the guard there and the church continued to grow. And when he went from from there, he went off to Thessalonica, which is kind of outside of their region. It would essentially be like the Alberta to our BC. And he says uh, in Philippians 4, 14 to 16, yet it was kind of you to share in my trouble. See, even though I've understood, I've understood how to be content in the circumstances that I'm in, even though I'm chained and I rely on other people to give me food and clothing and things like that, and I've learned to be content, I'm still grateful that you share in my trouble. And you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. The very next town Paul went to was Thessalonica. Immediately after conversion, the Philippian church said, no, 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 we need to partner with this man for the spread of the gospel. The glory of Jesus is too much for us just to stand here with our hands in our pockets and just be happy with where we're at. No, 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 we need to to help this man along. He's been gifted to preach the gospel, and so we will do that as best we can. So they started to give him what they could, food, clothing, money to help along the way. Once and again, they helped. And if you remember, you would think, oh, yeah, yeah, but... Wasn't it in Acts where Lydia, this this maker of purple cloth was? She was pretty wealthy, so clearly they're just doing this from a place of wealth. Like they have a lot, and so they can afford to give. 2 Corinthians 8, though, paints a different picture. When Paul was canvassing the churches of the area to help with the Uh, challenges that were happening in Jerusalem. He points to the Macedonian churches of which Philippi was a part of as he's encouraging the Corinthians to give. And this is what he has to say in 2 Corinthians 8, 1 through 4. And now, brothers and sisters, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian church. 
In the midst of a very severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. For I testify that they gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability, entirely on their own. They urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in the service of the Lord's people. Paul paints a different picture. The Philippian church was not a church of wealth and means, but a church who struggled even to put food on their own tables. And yet the first thing that they do after they see the gospel and its beauty is open their wallets and say, Paul, how can we help? You want to take some of our food? You need some of our clothes so that you can continue on? When we hear that you're in prison, we're going to come. We're going to send people to you with whatever we can so that we can support you in the gospel because we know that it is life. It is radical partnership. The Philippian church was actively, sacrificially, relentlessly looking for ways to partner in the advance of the gospel. Is that, is that our disposition? As, as, as the Lord reveals himself to you and you see the gospel as true and right and beautiful and you see the life of Jesus and what he taught, does that open your heart? Say, whatever, whatever I have, because I have so much in you, whatever I have is for your glory. Use it as you will. It's interesting, though, that Paul's disposition isn't there to guilt the Philippian church. You notice in verse 17 and 18, he says, not that I seek the gift. You see, I'm not, I'm not asking you for this. I'm not telling you about my needs so that you feel guilty and then open your wallets and give. It's not, what I'm, it's not what I'm doing here, church. But I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. I have received full payment and more, and I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. See, Paul's disposition here is that their gifts are not to him, but a sacrifice to God that is pleasing for him and is credited to them as righteousness. Storing up treasures in heaven for them. See, he sees their gift not as for his benefit, but for theirs. So every time you dig into your wallet and you support a local missionary or you support the local church or you reach out to a neighbor, it is sowing treasures in heaven. It's a sacrifice to God for your benefit. See, Jesus said in Matthew 6 in the Sermon on the Mount in chapter 9, or in verse 19 through 21, do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and vermin destroy and where thieves and break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven 
where moths and vermin do not destroy, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is there, your heart will be also. So the implication is, is that there is stuff to be used. But where we use it will determine where our treasure is. So Paul rejoices in the Philippians' partnership, not because he is getting stuff, but because it's showing fruit in their lives, and it will be counted to them in heaven. But Paul understands that what God calls his people to, he will provide for. Verse 19, and my God will supply every need of yours according to the riches in glory in Christ Jesus. This is just a reiteration of verse, 14, of, uh, verse 13. We can engage in partnership like this because we can do all things through Christ. Our source in dealing with difficulty and with the mountaintop, our source in being able to give what we have and hold things open-handedly is because we know that God gives generously. What he calls us to, he will provide for. When he calls us to the mission field and we think about our children and the impact that it would have on them, God says, if I've called you there, I will provide for them. I know I, I experienced that when I came here. To leave my job there and the, 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 the family that my children had at the church and school that they were going to and come here and go to a new school with the disposition of my children Man, that, that caused some anxiousness. And, to, and to, wa to watch God provide for my family. Because he said, Jason, I've, I've called you. You have everything in me. When I was at Northview, I got to know uh, Ezra Okoti quite well. He's the... Um, Missions campus, or the mission campus pastor um, at their campus in Mission. And uh, before that, he used to work at, at Willingdon, and they would take these missionary journeys with young adults to support uh, a couple that lived in Romania with two small children. And they were reaching the local community there, and so they would go and help as they could. Um, and th this man, Joseph, and his, and his wife, they had two little girls, and they lived on the fourth floor of a four-story apartment. And you'd think, oh, that's pretty fantastic. But the challenge was is that the roof leaked. So when they walked into the apartment, there was just buckets all over the floor. And he didn't have money to replace it. Because of the moisture, there was mold growing over the walls. And he tried with the best that he could. He painted little flowers on the ceilings for his girls to try and hide the mold. And, and the toilet was broken in such a way that their entire apartment smelled like sewage constantly. When they ate dinner, it smelled like sewage. Joseph made $250 a month. So he couldn't fix these things. So after... 
they had seen this. After this team had seen this, they kind of gathered and they said, you know what? We had this trip planned afterwards. We're going to spend a few days in this nice hotel or whatever just to take a break from our missions trip, which is kind of typical. We're going to take that money instead and we're going to give that to Joseph so that he can provide for his family. So they gathered their money and they presented it to Joseph and like he just wept tears of joy. And the next day as they came back to see Joseph, one of the neighbors came out and just said, oh, thank you so much for the gift you gave Joseph. Oh, that's a bit weird. Yeah, he gave us some of it. What? That, that was for him. Like, what, what's his circumstance? So they go over next door to Joseph and be like, no, 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 Joseph, didn't you use this for your children? You could have fixed the toilet. You could have done, you could have done something with the mold. And he was like, oh, I, like I bought my kids the things that they need, some shoes, and I bought my wife some things that she needed. But, but if God gave me that, why shouldn't I give? Like, if God provided for me through you, why shouldn't then I provide for my neighbors who have just as much need as I have? Why should I only focus on my needs when those around me need it? And so I gave it away because God has so richly blessed me with your gift. Radical partnership in the gospel. When we understand what we have in Christ, this is the kind of life we will live, that we ought to live. Finally, what we see in the partnership between Paul and, Philippi, and the Philippian church is that there are God-glorifying goals. Philippians 4.20 To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Paul ends his letter intentionally. Because he's aware that you could go back over all that he's taught and you could think that you could do that and bind religion on your heart and just make a new set of rules and act humbly and be this way or that way. Don't grumble and then it will be good. See, it's possible to take what Paul prescribes throughout the book of the Philippians and miss the ultimate goal. It would be possible to preach the gospel with self-centered motivation. That's what he says in Philippians 1 verse 11 in that, or in verse 15 where the, the, those that are preaching the gospel are preaching out of envy and rivalry. As if it has to do with Paul and whoever it is that's preaching. See, people will look at me now. It would be possible to stand firm in the faith with a, a side glance to make sure that somebody's watching so that they would be able to praise me. Show me that I'm strong. See, look at me. I'm a good Christian. It's possible to be humble in our own strength so that we get praised even though we kind of just pass it off as, oh, you're so kind, but... We're not grumbling so that people know how joyful we are. We're striving to look more Christian. We don't worry so that people around will be like, wow, how do you do that? So we can make all of the prescriptions that Paul gives and make them self-centered, can we not? 
Can we not apply all of those legally for our own benefit so that those around us will give us praise and glory and honor for the rest of our lives? But that's not Paul's goal. Paul's goal is that all of these things would point and bring glory to God himself. When he receives the gift from the Philippian church, he says, I rejoice in the Lord, not in the Philippian church. In any circumstance, his source is Christ. He says, look, don't look at me. I'm not good at this. I'm weak. But he's strong. That's where I find it. I seek your good, church, in the presence of God, not my own needs. I see your gifts as sacrifices to God, and I know that God will supply them all. See, all of human history is designed in such a way that it will culminate at the end with the... With every tribe, every tongue, every nation saying glory to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb be blessing and honor, glory and might forever and ever. Our contentment points to Christ. Our partnership in the gospel points to Christ. Our humility points to Christ. Paul wants to make sure that the, that the Philippian church understands all you do points to Christ. Is your life or your goals, is your purpose to see Christ glorified in the circumstance you're in with the resources that you have with the attitude that you portray. What we see is that Paul's ultimate goal is that God would be glorified. But do you know how he ends? With this, with this awesome little phrase, all the saints greet you, especially those of Caesar's palace. You see, I'm in chains because Nero thinks he can stop it. But he can't. People from Caesar's household greet you in Christ. His kingdom will be built. He will provide a means for it. He will give you the strength you need to endure the circumstances that you have, and he will give you the perspective you need to use the resources that you have for his glory and our good. Oh, would you lean into him? Would you teach your spirit to be content in Christ? Let's pray. Father, thank you for this truth that the winds may blow, but you are faithful and true. We may struggle, but you provide. Thank you, God, that we have an anchor in Christ. 
that though the storms may toss us to and fro, that we are firmly planted in that anchor and that we can trust in you. Oh, Father, would you, by your Spirit, give us the strength and discipline to remind ourselves of who we are in you. Would you help us to remember who you are? Would you open our eyes to the glory of your greatness? And God, would our lives point to you and would it draw people to faith and repentance so that they too can taste and see that you are good and can spend eternity with you, Father? Pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.